Hello, and welcome to The Purpose. I'm Bill Brunson. And I'm Kit McClurg. And today we're going to be talking about a passage from the book of James, specifically James 4, 13 through 17. In that passage we read, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a town and spend a year there doing business and making money, yet you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who, who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it commits sin. It's not the most pleasant of passages in some ways, but if you've ever spent time reading the book of James, you'll find that this is sort of part and parcel for the way James rolls. This is how James approaches faith and life. He doesn't pull any punches at all. Now, to give you a little backstory on on James, uh, James, the author, is believed to be the brother of Jesus. And when we say that, as he introduces himself in the book as being the brother of Jesus, uh, our understanding is that what we would use the term James is the stepbrother of Jesus. They didn't really use utilize those term, that terminology in the time of Jesus uh, in family systems at that point, but it was not uncommon at all for someone to be married multiple times, a man to be married multiple times throughout their life, each time having a wife, maybe having one or more children, and then unfortunately because of the health care options that were available, Many times the wives would the wife would simply die either uh, in childbirth or just through that that grueling process of raising children, having children and raising children, or from whatever illness may come through. And so many people believe that Joseph was married once or maybe twice more before he married Mary. And so in the New Testament, you'll read on a couple of occasions a list of the brothers of Jesus, which are James and Joseph and Simeon and Jude. Um, And then it also says, and he had sisters, um, which again shows you sort of the thought process on sometimes how females were treated in that timeline. They don't really name the sisters, just that he had them. Well, James, the brother of Jesus, who is the author of the book of James, He has an interesting past because James, even though his little stepbrother was the Messiah, uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, um, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, all that stuff, James didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. James did not think that Jesus, his little stepbrother, uh, was anything special. And it wasn't until after Jesus is raised from the dead that James actually believes in him. There's a weird passage that is found only in the Gospel of John that sort of shows you that when Jesus was starting his ministry, James wasn't that fond of Jesus in his ministry. You also have that point where the brothers of Jesus bring Mary to basically try to get Jesus to come back home and stop doing all of this. But one year when Jesus is going around the Galilee preaching and teaching, 
and it came time for the Festival of the Tabernacles in Jerusalem, Jesus hadn't really gone into Jerusalem yet because there were a lot of, well, a lot of people in Jerusalem weren't very fond of what he was doing. But his brothers went to him. So James and the others go to him and go, hey, Jesus, why don't you leave Galilee and go down into Judea, down to Jerusalem, so your disciples can see the kind of works that you do down there? You know, no one who wants to be a public figure does these kind of things in secret way up here in the Galilee. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. Some, some scholars believe that what James and his brothers were trying to do. Really sweet brothers. Sweet brothers were basically trying to get Jesus arrested and silenced maybe permanently. This is a little bit like Joseph's brothers lovingly taking him out and selling him as a slave after throwing him in a well. It's like we're tired of dealing with this brother who yeah. runs around Galilee as some sort of prophet, messiah kind of guy. Why don't you just take that show to the temple and just see what happens? That's right. If they love you, that's great. If they don't, that's great for us. And so that's that's how James exists until after the resurrection. And, and I love to watch his transformation because he goes not just from, well, I was you know Jesus' stepbrother and I didn't believe and now I believe – he just kept going. It's like, and because I'm his stepbrother, I'm sort of in charge because I know Jesus better than y'all did because he was like my brother. And, and so it's a fascinating to watch his his change uh, in just a few months from why don't you go and see if you can get yourself killed to I, I, I need to be in charge of this. And he was, he was more than likely um, older – uh, than all the disciples, because the disciples, the oldest disciple is believed to be Peter, who is at least 20 years old, and we know that he was married. The rest are younger than Peter, um, and he's older than Paul, who would have been probably in his late 20s um, when he comes into ministry. He's probably older than everyone, so in the hierarchical system, he's able to make that claim of, I'm in charge, and everyone simply says, well, he meets the criteria of being the stepbrother of Jesus, and he's older than the rest of us. He's in charge. And so when he starts writing this letter, this book of, of well, his understanding of discipleship, he does it from that place of authority. And so when you read the book of James, and, and I hope that you'll take some time and read the book of James in its, in its fullness and Pick different translations to read read it from. When you read the book of James, you'll find that James doesn't pull any punches as he talks to us about how we're supposed to live as disciples. He deals with everything, including even con- being able to control our tongue so that what we say isn't bad. He, I mean, he he almost has ADHD. He pops from subject to subject to subject. It, almost like your older brother who's 10 years older who just needs to tell you how to run your teenage life. And perhaps you want to hear that, perhaps you don't, but about the time you walk out the door, they've got another idea of how you could run your life and you don't need to do that. And so he just kind of pops from idea to idea to idea. It's not a long book, uh, but it has so many subjects that he addresses and, and good 
gives good advice, uh, but it's just an unusual way that he writes. And like in this passage today, I mean, he's dealing with something that is, in his own way, he's building off of the the teachings of Jesus. I mean, Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added to us. And so James does that by, he, he sort of builds off that by saying, you know, you really shouldn't be focused on, okay, I'm making my own plans. I'm going here today. I'm going to go there tomorrow. I'm going to live there for a year. I'm going to do business. I'm going to make money. Um, I'm, I'm in full control of all that. The problem is he's not really mentioning God in any of that. There's no seeking first the kingdom of God and everything else being added. It's all about the other stuff without any reference to the kingdom of God. And so James says, "What you need, you've got this backwards, and you need to reverse it. You need to say, if the Lord wishes or if the Lord wills, then we'll live and we'll get to do this or we'll get to do that. Because following the Lord's will for your life, that's what's the important part. Because after all, I mean, we don't really like to think about it, but James is right. For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And when you look at our life on the grand timeline of the world, we are. I mean, we're, we're not here for that long. So how can we use our time here to accomplish God's will versus using our time here to accomplish our want? You know, it uh, is interesting that I think we are all guilty of what James is saying. We sort of see the world revolving around us, our issues, our lives, our time frames. And it's just a few people who experience early or tragically uh, the loss of life of someone uh, near to them uh, or, or someone that was close to them. And, and they realize how short life is, and it really forces them to think differently. The loss of a spouse, the loss of of a child, uh, and and you realize, wow, life is short. I don't have a lot of years. I need to do something. I was blessed several years ago to uh, be able to go with a group of pastors uh, to Manhattan, and we were studying uh, churches and how churches give uh, their authority uh, away to the younger generations. And every morning we would go to a an Episcopal church uh, in in Manhattan uh, for a, a small mass. Hardly anyone came. Uh, usually, it was one man and maybe one or two other people, and and there were there were eight of us. And after about the fourth or fifth day, this same man is here, and 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 the poor young priest, I think probably in his first role, who got the seven o'clock mass slot. Uh, we started talking to the man that was coming, and he began to tell us a story, and he said that on September the 10th of 2001, his mother had passed away. And so he called in to his employer, uh, Cantor Fitzgerald, uh, to make arrangements and had gone and and done what you you have to do when someone passes. Uh, As it turns out, the next day when he was out, uh, the, the Twin Towers were hit by planes and every one of his coworkers, hundreds up to thousands of coworkers, were killed at at the same time and this was several years later and he was coming every day still uh, 
because it so profoundly changed his outlook on life to realize that that fast, his mother was gone, his workplace was gone, every person he had worked with, his friendships were gone, and life is a mist, and, and, you, and you really need to be grounded in something more deep, deeper than yourself and your own plans. And so he lived this out, and, and James is trying to tell us, hey, don't get to that spot. Be grounded before the mist seems to disappear. That's right, and because our our time is 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 ultimately limited, and so it's a matter of where do we put God in that, and where do we prioritize God? Because what we do for the eternal has eternal has has eternal ramifications, and and so how do we live our life? Are you living your life every day, making all your plans, and then retrofitting God into your plans, or do you start every day? And make all of your plans, looking to see how you can how you can follow God's will and how you can accomplish God's will. Because if you don't, then at the end of the day, maybe you get to go to such and such city and make stay there a year and make money. But at the end of the day, what do you have to show for that? What difference have you made? When James is talking in this passage, he's talking about us being able or maybe growing into being able to prioritize the will of God in our life. Whatever we're doing, whenever we're doing it, whatever plans we make, that we are prioritizing God's will over our will, that we're prioritizing God's will in spite of whatever else is going on. There's an old saying that's attributed to Colonel Benjamin Hawkins, who was from North Carolina, and he was a part of the Continental Congress. Um, and on behalf of the of the government, the Continental Government, he was his title, which is archaic sounding now. He was the General Superintendent of Indian Affairs. Um, but at one point, he gave a phrase out into the world that seems to have stuck over the years, and that was one time he was summoned to the Capitol. And he responded by messenger that he would be there if God is willing and the creek don't rise. And what he was meaning was the the Native American tribe, the the Creek Indians, um, that if they didn't rise because there was skirmishes going on, if they didn't rise, then he would make his way to the capital. And over the years, that has been... That phrase has been morphed, and now you may still hear people say, if the good Lord willing and the creek don't rise, I'll be there or I'll do that. You know, when I, when I think about that phrase, I think about James is sort of the, in a way, the opposite of, of what, you know, how James has phrased it, but it has sort of that same mindset because James is talking about someone making all of their plans without any involvement of the good Lord. Um, and what Benjamin Hawkins was talking about was somebody making their plans, um, if good, the good Lord willed, but allowing other things to stop them. Because, you know, I, I think we have to be ready for the fact that in our life, when we're trying to follow the will of God, we're trying to follow where God is leading us, where God has called us, where God has challenged us to grow, to change, to develop as disciples. 
where God is is encouraging us to take the writings of James and and the teachings of Jesus and apply those to our life. There's always going to be things that rise up. There's always going to be problems that come, and it's that decision we have to make in those moments of do we stick with what God has willed or what we know God's calling us to do or how we know God is calling us to act or react, or do we let something else change our plans because, well, it's inconvenient now or it's a problem now. There's always going to be things that rise up. It's the question of will we stick with what the good Lord wills. In a lot, in a lot of ways, what he is is telling us is freeing because we can become so obsessed with our plans, the way we think our life ought to go, uh, measuring ourselves against other people, uh, looking at metrics of I ought to have this by this age or I, you know, I ought to be in this subdivision or I ought to have this accomplishment in life. And we can become so obsessed over things that are truly missed, that truly don't matter, that we're not open to the possibilities of what God could do if we let God's plan be the primary driver. But we so often are afraid of that. We want control. But in taking control, we take away perhaps some of the greatest opportunities that God has for us. Right. And so I, I hope that you will spend some time and think about the way you approach life. I know that's a big task to ask, but think about how you approach life. Do you make all your plans? Do you decide how you're going to deal with every circumstance that comes your way? Do you determine what you're going to do with your resources and your time, uh, your talent, what you're, you know, how, how you're going to live your life, and then try to retrofit God into that? Or do you put God's will first? Do you start with God and ask God's will for your life and, and seek the guidance of Scripture and, and surround yourself with, with people of faith who will help encourage you to walk that kind of a faithful walk? And also, when you decide what God has willed, when you feel like you know what God's calling you to do, when you know how God is calling you to, to serve or to volunteer or to give or how God is calling you to spend your time or to, you know, to raise your family and whatever it might be, when the problems come, whatever rises up, do you stick with what God wills or do you go for the easier? You go for the more convenient. You go for the more culturally acceptable. Do you stick with God, or what? You know, and stick with what God wills, or do you stick with what you want? And because with what more, if you're like me, most of the time what I want is never as good, is never as as hope filled, and doesn't have the same effect as what God wants for my life and wills for my life. So. How are you dealing with God's will in your life? Think about that this week. I encourage you to read the whole book of James. It's, it, and just be ready. James will stomp all over your toes the entire time you read it. 
And so then next week you can limp along and listen to us and join us again on The Purpose. Thank you.